This evening, I want to ask you to go to Genesis 11. Genesis 11, for a few weeks, we're going to visit an old friend. And let me ask this question, that when you hear certain names, I want to ask you what comes to mind. Some of you won't know these people because they're so old. What comes to mind when you hear John Wayne? Cowboy? Westerns? Okay. What's that? Courage. You know. How about this guy, Richard Nixon? Watergate, crook, oh, president, okay. Peyton Manning. Football. What is some pizza? Somebody say, yo. Papa John's pizza, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, here you go. Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Sweaters and neighborhoods, that's it. Okay, what's that? Three eggs and green eggs. Green eggs, yeah. Green eggs and ham. Yeah. Here's one. Columbo. Some of you have no clue who Columbo is. Okay. Okay. It's a TV, TV detective from what, the 80s? Oh, yeah. 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 The old trench coat and acting like a doofus. But he always knew what was going on. Yeah. Tom Latham. Is a missionary. Anything else? What'd you say? Wrestling. Penny. Donuts. Dumb jokes. Okay. That's <laughs> the Apostle Thomas. Okay. Most of you are going to say that right away. How about this fellow that when we bring up this guy? Abraham. Now I'm not talking Lincoln. I'm talking Abraham of the Bible. Okay. What's that? Faithful. Any stories come to mind? Okay. Sarah's going to come there. Any of you think if you're going to tell a story about Abraham, what might be the story you might target? Isaac, the, the offering of Isaac is probably a major one. Any other things? Yeah. Yeah, he's trusted the Lord. The story of Lot. Okay. The, what did you say? He lied about his wife. Okay, so you have, when you start thinking about him, there's a number of different things that could come to mind. What I'd like to do is spend just a few weeks just reacquainting ourselves. It's been a long time since we here have done any kind of Bible study on Abraham, and I don't want to do it so that we make him such a heroic figure that he's an untouchable. Nor do I want to say, okay, we, we need to pattern our life that he is the one that we should follow after. We follow after who? We fall after Christ, and these guys help us, but our goal isn't to be like Abraham. Our goal is to be like Christ. And so when we look at their life, like this time tonight, we want to get some information and some insights into, i tell you, the, to me, the way to approach it is, what does their life tell us more about God? Okay, because that's, that's his whole existence was to glorify God. And so as we're trying to find out about God, sometimes it happens that we can learn about God through some of the people and how God related to them. And so when we talk about Abraham, probably the thing more than anything else in scriptures that's mentioned about him is his faith and his faith and how he acted, how he conducted. So what I'd like to do tonight is start in Genesis 11, and from the very opening remarks that we get about Abraham, just draw some conclusions, draw some facts about faith as God presents faith and how to live by faith as illustrated by Abraham. And so several things that stand out that I think are very important when we talk about faith, just to introduce this whole series that we'll get into, family issues and things of that sort, and dealing with you know, your 
you know, those relatives that drive you nuts and things like that. But tonight, just to get started, what do I know about faith that is illustrated by the life of Abraham? I think there's several things. Number one is this, that faith is foundational to having a real close friendship with God. If you look at his life, and we'll get into Genesis 11. I need to just remind you of other texts, first of all. When you look at his life, he is frequently commended for his faith. In the New Testament, the thing that's talked about the most is Abraham's faith, Abraham's faith, Abraham's faith. You get multiple passages like this. You get in James chapter 2 where it talks about Scripture being fulfilled which said Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. This is the passage that goes on to say that faith without works is dead. And so it's commending active faith based on Abraham's example. There's a passage in Galatians that talks about believing. And he uses Abraham saying, as Abraham believed God and it was accounted him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So in a sense, we are, you know, that song that I, that I drives me nuts that the kid, little kids do, Abraham's you know, Father Abraham has many sons. Then you just keep on going. That is based on this type of concept that we are the children of Abraham because of faith. Okay, and the faith that blessed, with Abraham, that blessed Abraham. In Romans, there's a whole section in Romans. I just picked out one verse. This whole section talks about, the scriptures talking about Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And so he's talked about, again, in multiple different texts, used as an example of faith. So we look and say, yes, faith was very important. And then on top of that, because of his faith, he is able to develop a close friendship with God. Now, his friendship is unique because he's the one in Scripture that is called a friend of God in several texts. I already read the one to you. In James 2, where he was called the friend of God, and that's based upon his faith and how he grew. But there was another passage in Chronicles, and he says... Are you our God who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people and gave it to the seed of Abraham, your friend? There's one other passage that mentions this. But you, O Israel, are my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. And so God is, when he's giving a little bit of background about this guy or giving a little bit of information about him, he uses that title that Abraham is one of my dear friends and a close friend. His friendship was based upon faith. Now, a second thing that stands out about faith is in, in Abraham's life is this. People who walk by faith can come from any walk of life. They can come from any background. Think with me of Genesis chapter 11 when we get a little bit of information about Abraham. Let's, let's look at his background, his, his, um, his historic lineage, if you would. We are getting some information in chapter 11 about all kinds of people and tribes and different folk. And towards the end of the chapter, we read in about verse 24. Nahor lived nine, 29 years and begat Terah. Nahor lived after he begat Terah 119 years and begat other sons and daughters. Terah lived 70 years and then he had Abraham, or Abram, Nahor, and Haran. These are the generations of Terah. He begat Abram, Nahor, Haran, and Haran begat Lot. Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abraham and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Ishka. But Sarah was barren, and she had no children. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and his sons, Abraham's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran, and there dwelt there. The days of Terah were 205 years. He died in Haran, and that's 
pretty much what we get out of the background. But there's more that we can draw from that, that we can get from this whole idea from Abraham and learn, learn about him. He grows up in the city, and it is a city of Ur of the Chaldees, as we'll see in a few moments to give you more details about it. His, the region where he is growing up is dominated by the descendants of Ham. In that same region, there are a few of the descendants of Shem, or what we would call the Semitic line. So in the scriptures, the, the line of Ham, you know, it became a pretty rugged line. It was a pretty godless line. The uh, Semitic line was where you're going to have this godly line come through. And so you have Abraham growing up in a godly lineage, and yet his father is an apostate. His father is a pagan. According to Joshua 24, we read Joshua talking about Terah, Abraham's father. He says, your fathers dwelt in the other side of the flood in old time. Even Terah served other gods. So Abraham is growing up in a household where they didn't have an altar for Jehovah. They had an altar for whoever. So his dad is a worshiper, an idolater, a pagan type of a worshiper that's probably condescended to all of a sudden letting all the Chaldean gods, the multiplicity of these pagan deities, become a part of his life and his ritual. What he taught his kids, I don't know. What he, how he encouraged them to worship, we don't know. We know Abraham was called faithful because he would teach his children the way of truth. But his father was not walking in truth. And here comes Abraham, who is the next generation, and Abraham breaks that mold. Abraham is able to be a man of outstanding faith, even though his father and his family did not show that type of faith. Now, I'm not saying this. I'm not trying to minimize the idea of having a spiritual heritage to pass on to your kids. I'm not saying that it's not important that we, who are believers, we can just, hey, it'll work. It'll work. Our kids will just catch it. I think it's very important that we train our kids and as we have an advantage to raise our kids higher than we were to get on our shoulders of our faith and to do much better so it's very important that we as parents really invest in training our children in the ways of the Lord however the flip side of it is God can reach into homes reach into lives and see if there's a responsive spirit of somebody who doesn't have a real good religious background some folk will say this. They say, well, there's no hope for me to really serve the Lord because I didn't have real good training as a child. There's no hope for me to serve the Lord because, you know, because we have all kinds of garbage and, and skeletons in our family closet. You can be a person of faith no matter what your background. Now, the flip side of it is you're not guaranteed to be a person of faith because you have faithful parents. That has to be yours that you take and you own for yourself. But Abraham gives me the encouragement that even though I or some like you, we grew up in it wasn't real strong Christian household, we can still be people of faith. Why? Because we, have, we would respond like Abraham did if faith in the Lord, even though that isn't something that we grew up with. It is possible to develop a mature, intimate fellowship and walk with the Lord no matter what our backgrounds. Something else that stands out. It is this. We said the building of friendships is based on faith. We said we, anyone if they, uh, can f- come from any walk of life and have a life of faith. But a life of faith, a walk of faith, is based upon the revelation of God. In this text, you have in chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get you out of your country, from your kindred, etc. Verse uh, 4, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Now thinking of his background, thinking of his culture, thinking 
thinking of where he goes, what we have is this, is we have Abraham, his faith is that which is outstanding and commendable, and even though he grew up in this land of the Chaldees in Ur, God came to speak to him. God, God came and revealed himself to him, which was an act of grace. It's an act of grace that God would ever reveal himself to any of us. It is the mercy of God that woos any of us to the point that we would respond and, and get born again. And so here we have this idea that God by grace even reaches out to Abraham and Abraham is able to and, and wants to and responds to that even though he has this, this culture, this background, this influence that's kind of skaggy. That's kind of bad. That's kind of pagan all the way around. And as a response of, as a result of responding to the word of God, all of a sudden he becomes this man of faith. Well, look at the word of God, what it says. You, you've read these passages. You know this verse. God came to him in verse 1 of chapter 12. Get thee out of thy country from thy kindred, from thy father's house into a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless them that bless you. Curse them that curse and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed and then later on he says I will give you this covenant promise and time and again we already read it was accounted unto Abraham for righteousness because he believed God he believed in what God was saying when God said several times count them up in this verse where he says I will do this I will do this I will do this I will do this he has just simply the integrity of God to go by a God that his father has not been worshiping a God that we don't know how well he knew as a child or, quite frankly, up to his first 75 years. That's when he has his encounter with the Lord. And so what does he know about him? I don't know. What, is, what has been his walk with the, with the Lord in his first 75 years? I don't know. But at 75 years of age, he, all, he comes to this spot where it gets accounted unto him for righteousness because he believes God. He takes God at his word, which fills in that New Testament concept, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by Okay, so if you want to build faith, you've got to be in the Word of God. You've got to believe God, take God at His Word, and then let the Word filter through you to develop and to mold you into a person of faith. Anyone's faith has got to be founded upon God's Word. And anyone who believes this, that's what faith is all about. Simply believing the Word of God and building it. So if I want to build my faith, I've got to go back to the Word of God. Faith comes as a foundation point in the Word of God. Let's go to another point, okay? Number four, walking by faith always result, results in great changes. In Abraham's life, tremendous changes. We just read about it. He's supposed to have, with his family, leave the one region, then leave his family, get out of the Ur of the Chaldees, get out of the city of Haran, go even further, and come into what we call the promised land, and it's going to be referred to that later, a place where God will show him, and in verse 4 of chapter 12, he did as the Lord said. That called for some great changes. Think about this guy and what that meant for him in leaving this region. We already mentioned it's Ur of the Chaldees. Most of us in this room have no clue where that is unless we stop, look at a map, and get an idea. Ur is down in that bottom right-hand corner, that little green city, and that's where Ur is. He's going to end up all the way over here in Canaan. Okay, what is that region like compared to what we call Canaan as we know it, and eventually Jerusalem comes there? 
What are these cities like? We have information. It's not given a lot in scriptures, but extra-biblical literature and artifacts and archaeology gives us a lot of information about Ur of the Chaldees. Ur of the Chaldees was no mean city. It wasn't anything that was just kind of like, you know, uh, no offense, a Myerstown or something, you know, just a a little pass-through area. It was a pretty substantial city for that age, for that era. In fact, it would be pretty substantial even today, 300,000 people. It was a modern city, a civilized city. They had their own merchant fleet. We know that they did a lot of artisan work, artifacts. They had gemstones. They were a center for astronomy and a center for mathematics at this time. We're talking around 4000 BC. And so they were a hub, a population educational center, as well as a theological center for a lot of the astrology and for a lot of the Chaldean mystic religions. And so he grows up and he is apparently is a city boy that comes into this, into this uh, revelation of God that says, I want you to leave this area. And so for him who has lived there 70, 70, 75 years or short in that region before his father moved him out, here he is living in that region and God says, you, I want you to move. That's pretty, pretty substantial changes that are coming into his life. He is all of a sudden leaving this prosperous city dwelling where that city probably has a few stores. It probably has, you know, by comparison, the Walmarts, the drugstores. It probably has a lot of fast food restaurants. And he's going to go into a region where he's going to end up in, for some of this period of time, in the desert of Arabia that has no stores, that has no takeout pizza shops, that has no internet access, so your cell phone will be totally dead. He's going to have some really substantial changes take place in his life. But we're not just talking about the commercial. We're not just talking about the physical. Think about what this guy has to look forward to. God is saying, I'm moving you, not telling you where. I'm going to take you south for a while. You're going to go through what's called the Arabian Desert region. You're going to be a nomad. You lived in the city. City dwellers usually have homes. Now you're going to live out of your car. And how long you're going to live there, I don't know. But you're 75, you have no problems riding the car indefinitely at age 75. And those of you who are pushing any kind of age over 25, you're going, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the way it works. Okay, riding in the car could be uncomfortable. This is a change. This is a change from living in a city where there's a lot of activity and now living in a remote, um, remote area. It's a change in other reasons. In other reasons. He's going to leave his family behind. Sure, he takes a lot. Lot's not the gem of the relatives, folk. Okay, but he's going to take a lot with him. But he's going to have to leave some of his other family. If you read the text that we already mentioned, it says that in this time that God says to him, you leave your kindred, you leave your father's house, you go where I'm going to show you. And so you're going to have to leave family behind. That would be difficult for a lot of people within this room to say, I'm going to leave my region and I'm going to leave where I grew up and I'm never going to come back here again. Again, now we live in a different society. Our kids, our, we did it, some of you did it. You can move a day away from your family and you get back there periodically. But in ancient days, you're not even so ancient, just a couple of hundred years ago, if you went away from here to the Midwest, how often do you get home? You don't. So this is like a lifestyle, this is a change, this is something that, would, that sometimes we aren't as dramatically filled or hit with the reality, this is leaving a permanent separation. This is tough. 
This will be tough for most of us. Saying goodbye. He's leaving family. He's going to a foreign region. They're going to eat different types of foods. They're going to speak a different type of language. They're going to probably have different coins that you aren't used to. They're going to have some, prob- some possibility of different dress, different types of experiences. I was reading Neil Cadwell's biography uh, the last couple evenings, and, or his autobiography. In it, he talks about how when he was visiting certain different regions, he made a number of faux pas, even even from the pulpit, even when he was sitting on the platform, that he did a few things and the missionaries would tell him at the platform, stop, stop, stop doing that. You know, just the way he sat, the way he, he put his, he crossed his legs the American way and showed the bottom of his shoe to the audience, the little hand that he used in reaching out for foods. He, said he was counting different times where, you know, though he was a world traveler, he wasn't familiar with the local customs and it created some incidents that he felt very bad about that people, they, they understood. But it created an uncomfortableness, which quite frankly, if that were you and me, if we were in a region where we're not sure of the customs, we all of a sudden start living on the proverbial eggshells. We're not sure what to say, what to do. Well, that's Abraham. He's being asked to do this, and he's willingly going to do it. He's going to change career. City dwellers aren't typically farmers and herdsmen, and he's going to go. Basically, what God is asking him to do is to have many personal changes in his life. A lot of these changes that faith says, okay, this is the way it works. If I'm going to follow the Lord, that means that there's probably going to be introduced in my life a lot of changes. That happened for a lot of us. A lot of us, when we came to know the Lord, it didn't mean so much physical moving, but there sure was some social moving. There was some changes with family. There was some verbal changes and verbal moving. Some of us, we took us a while, but we got rid of those 50-cent words, but we had to make some changes. There was changes in some of what we considered valuable and important. There was changes in how we did some of our relationship. And for some of us, the changes were actually having to say, you know, parents, brothers, sisters, close friends, um, I have to adjust my relationship with you to a degree because I can't keep on doing the same things that you want to do. I can't keep going to the same places you want to go. I, I can't have the same type of response to raising my kids that you think I should be doing because by faith I'm going to follow the word of the Lord. And for some of us, that created some conflict. That created some challenge. For some of us, that created some second-guessing sometimes. Like I was making these moves for the Lord, and all of a sudden, wait a minute, am I really want to do that? Because now I've lost some friends. Now I've changed some of my, my financial ways. And so God does that. He, by saying walking by faith, it does call for change in our life, and there's nothing wrong with some of those changes if we're getting closer to the Lord. Let's make another observation, okay? Number five, walking by faith involves doing what God says to do. Okay, that's with the changes. But as well, let's keep that going. God says, Abraham, I want you to move. We already said there's going to call for changes in his life. Abraham does obey. We read that already in these, just these few verses. Leave your area, go where you want, and we start reading in verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken. Lot went with him. And notice what he gives us details about when he's starting to do what God said. It tells us right away, Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. It talks about who goes with him. Sarai, his wife, his nephew Lot. All the substance they had gathered, the souls they had gotten, they went forth into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. Abraham passed through the land into a place of, of Sychem unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaan 
Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto your seed will I give this land. There he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. He removed from there unto a mountain on the east side of Bethel, pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. There he built another altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. He journeyed, even going further, going on still toward the south. That doesn't re- re- resonate with us unless we do a little bit of background. Do a little bit about checking. What is this? This is a lot of traveling. This guy is moving. In those few verses, he has covered a lot of territory. He is doing exactly what God says, even though, let me give you some even those that I find challenging about his faith, even though he's of an elderly age. By, by typical standards, he's 75 years old. You say, well, they lived a long time. Remember, his father only lived to be just shortly over 100. His grandfather only lived to be shortly over 100. And so 75, he's getting up there. By 90, he is saying that I'm an old man and I can't even have children anymore. So they're not so distant in their old age compared to our society today. And it's not like, you know, the Methuselahs that were 969 years old. He is closer to us in feeling like us, closer to our, our physical abilities, our feelings of you know, getting out of bed being pretty, pretty difficult when people in our era are 75 years of age. He's pretty close to that. So here he is, after living in a region, being comfortable in that region, even though he had already moved from Ur, from Ur gone 100, 150 miles to Haran, they're still in the basic region of the Chaldees. Now they're going to move hundreds of miles, and he's going to do it when he's an old man, by standards. He's 75 years old, and he's going to move. He's going to change his location. He's going to live in a tent instead of living in a house. He's going to make these changes family-wise. Most of us, when we're reaching these senior years, we aren't so much interested in moving far away from family. We're more interested in the family getting closer. Why? Because we want family to be close. We want family to be able to be there to help us. And so here he is doing kind of the opposite of what, is, what would be typical for us and definitely for their culture, surely for their culture. You don't leave family, you don't leave father. This is a very, very oriented family taking care. He moves. Even though he's at this age, he moves. Why? God said to move. God told him to move. Something else that strikes me. He doesn't let personal comfort prevent his obedience. If I look at his situation and remind ourselves of just what we said, he's got a lot of things there in Ur and Haran that are pretty good. Now, his wealth, some of it went with him. But what I'm talking about a little bit more about his wealth is there is something, you can have wealth, but you also have inheritances. Yes? He's, you know, what about his, what about his inheritance? Dad is still alive. He's taking off. What about the uh, idea of going from his whole country and if he has to learn a new language? At 75 years old, we all know it's easier to learn something new when you're elderly than when you're young. Right? The answer is absolutely, positively, just the opposite. Just the, in fact, if we want to say somebody should learn a second language, when is the best time they should be learning it? Yeah, learn a little because it just comes so natural. It's just right there. When, it, when we get older, we have a tough time with our own language. 
We have a tough time remembering things. We have a tough time getting things down pat, you know, seeing things properly. He's leaving some of these comfort. Now, think about it. He is also called Abram. He's called the father of many. His wife is called a princess. I wonder if that gives us a little bit of their social standing with what, what they were in their community. We don't know. But it could have meant that they had, you know, they had a good standing in society. Where are they going to go? They're going to go out in the desert area. They're going to have good standing with the camels. Okay, it's going to be a different world. They're going to be attacked by their neighbors. They're going to not be accepted by their neighbors. His, his standing with his neighbors is going to be conflict after conflict over the wells. And so it's going to be a different type of a world for him. The things that he's used to, having, having stability. Listen, let, let's be honest. We are very predictable people, are we not? We are predictable in a lot of little ways. We are predictable basically of, you know, let, let's just be silly with it. You come downstairs for breakfast, you have your chair. If you take a different chair, the kids might look at you and say, what's wrong with you? Okay? And then your wife will come down or your husband come down and say, what's wrong with you? We are predictable. We head for certain spots in this auditorium. We probably park out here. I have no clue. I don't see when you, where you park. We probably have our spots where we park. We have our routine of what stores we go to. We have our routine of the stores that we find most comfortable, and we can find things in this one. We, some of us like Lowe's or Home Depot better, okay? Based upon, you know, it's just something easy. It's comfortable. We're very predictable people of how we go through our life. All of a sudden, God is asking for him total unpredictability. Do things that are just, others would say, are irrational. And by the way, does God ever call us to do things that seem irrational? Get baptized again. Totally irrational to your family. Go to church more than once a week. That is fanatical. That's weird. Pray, read your Bible. Oh, and then with your money? You give a percentage to the Lord? You are really nuts. Okay? And so all those things come up. And here's Abraham asked to do something totally unpredictable. Can I throw this back at you? Where he is asked to give up his society. That is really major. Just think of yourself being asked to move by comparison. Okay? Time-wise or culture-wise in a, in a much smaller world than what he had because of our transport. This is taking you and putting you on the far eastern side of the world. You go, you go and live in Japan, and I'll show you which mountaintop I'm going to stop you at. It's going to be totally foreign. It's going to be totally different, east versus west. And you're going to say, okay, how many of us would be comfortable doing it? Okay, it sounds interesting, it sounds challenging, and it sounds fun for a little while. And then all of a sudden, ooh, I want to get back to the routine, the routine. Okay? And I, I want to be back at that routine. I want to, you know, we, we struggle with routine. If, if our routine breaks, you know, if all of a sudden there's a detour on our way to work, that upsets us. If the machine breaks down, the vending machine where you get your typical lunch, that upsets us. I'll, I'll give you a routine that upsets people. People who are taking care of an elderly parent or a spouse and they're in a routine of visiting a rest home. Multiple times a week, that person disappears. You don't think their routine being upset doesn't bother them? They would rather be in that routine 
Because there's some type of you know, security in a routine, which brings us to this idea. He's asked to give up stability. It's things that he's used to. Things that, that you can run to. You can always run to family. Let's take it a step further. He's asked to give up his security. Future. What about his investments from his family fortune? We don't know. What about his prestige in the city? I don't know. You know what? Do, you, do any of you with your little kids, do they or did they ever have their security blanket? Yes? Okay. My kids, when they were growing up, each one of them had a security blanket. I, I remember the one child that their security blanket was kind of a tannish color. I think it started white. But by the time I remember it, it was discolored. And if Deb, and there was a couple occasions this happened, that it, and by the way, the security blanket kept on getting smaller and smaller because it would be so frayed. Actually, it would be sucked to death. And there was just little pieces left of it. And it finally got to about this big. But over the years, I remember that it wasn't just this one child, but all, all four of them, that sometimes these security blankets need to be washed. Okay? They can stand on their own. Or they'll drive you out of the house. Okay? And so you wash them once in a while. If you forget to put them in the dryer and the child's ready to go to bed, what happens? No problem. They're fine without that security blanket because you're in the house. No, you know better than that. Their security animal, their security blanket, their security pillow, that's important. Don't you think Abraham had some feelings of security to some things that God is saying, give up? I mean, you've had that. Where God has put that in your life and said a few things that you felt secure with. Sometimes it's called a paycheck. Sure feels much more secure with having that regular paycheck than all of a sudden being laid off. Security of having family or friends living nearby and all of a sudden they're gone. And that's unsettling. Security. Joyce, you mentioned about the security of this friend you're referring to. A church. And all of a sudden it's out of her life. Okay, those things, security of being able to get up and get in your car and drive whenever you want, and all of a sudden your health prohibits it. That's, that's tough. That's unsettling. And God is asking Abraham, saying, giving up some of this security, giving up some of this, what you consider, what we consider stability, Abraham takes the plunge because God said so. And what strikes me is he doesn't stop because of personal comfort. Let's go a little bit further. He did not allow partial obedience to pacify what God was asking him to do. What we mean by that is this. We already read he and his father, they moved to Haran. I already mentioned to you that they are talking. You know, they've traveled from, from several hundred miles already from Ur. But now God wants to take them hundreds of more miles. And then when they get to the plain of I'll say it right, Mora, God wants him to go even further. Why, why doesn't he ever stop and say, I've gone far enough. You know, it's been long enough. We're not moving anymore. No more. This is it. Okay? We're, we're just, we, we've already done one day of travel. This is it. This is all we're going to go. And it's like, no, nope, you got to do some more. And he doesn't stop to say, how much have I already given up, God? Just look at it. I'm done. I've given up enough. I've sacrificed enough. I've done this. I've done that. And I know you would have me to do more, but God, I already did some. I know you would have me to get involved with praying more, but I already pray two days a week. I, I know you would already have me, you would want me to be charitable to people, but I, I already gave I gave at the office two, two months ago. 
Okay, uh, you, you want me to share the gospel. I know you want me to do that some more. But, you know, I did witness last year. I did talk to my neighbor. And I did share the gospel. And praise God you did. But it's sometimes we give him partial obedience. We say, well, look what I've done. And that suffices. And I get, you know, I'm done. Not an Abraham who's living by faith who becomes a friend of God. In his mind, he keeps moving. He keeps moving. He keeps moving. Not because he's running from God, but he's running with God. Until he is confident this is where God wants him to go. That leads me to another thought that I find is absolutely so phenomenal. He did not allow his lack of personal knowledge to postpone obedience. I am glad to follow the Lord. As long as I know where, when, what time it's supposed to happen, and what's it going to be like when I get there. I will have great faith to follow the Lord as long as I have full information. And I, by the way, know all the results. And they're all going to be favorable. I have no problem following the Lord then. Abraham doesn't have a clue. I, I always think about, this is so goofy. This would be like saying, Deb, we're going on vacation. Let's just load up. And we'll load up when the kids were little. Let's load up all four kids. Let's get in the van. Let's go on vacation. Where are we going? I don't know. How long are we going to go? I don't know. What should we plan to take? I don't know. Yeah. Are we going to get rid of the kids? That I know. Okay, that we can, that we can do. Yeah. Well, you, know, you know, this, this adventuresome vacation. It sounds kind of cool. But most all of us in this room, I think we would want to have a little bit more planning, like how are we going to pay for the gas as we go? You know, is the car ready to go? Okay. And we, in fact, we are so oriented that when we go on vacation, what do most of us want to have set ahead of time? Where we're going to stay... What's what we're going to do when we're there? You know, how many Mickey Mouse ears can we, you know, can we wear and get them all ordered? We want all that information. God is saying to this man, 75 years old, I'm not giving you a clue. All I'm telling you is to leave and head south. What's south? Desert. I'll tell you when you're there. You know, is it another sand dune God? Is it another sand dune God? You know, what? It amazes me that he is just walking by faith. Walking by. Now, flip side of it, should we do any planning? Does the New Testament then give us advice that at times we must count the cost before we build the towers? Yes. Okay. So we're not saying, okay, then we should all be idiots and just, I, that's the wrong way to say it. Okay. We should, yeah, that's the way to say it. We should all be idiots and just kind of go out there and not worry and just, that it's not what we're advocating. What we're just saying is Abraham had a unique situation where he's able to go and just trust in the same way we're asked to trust and we at times don't know all of what's going to happen. But just trust me, especially if we're confident this is the the way the Lord is leading us. How long are we going to be there? I don't know. But this is, we're confident through the word, we're confident through the leading of the Lord that this is what we should be doing at this point. Walking by faith, walking by faith, and just saying, okay, I'm going to do what you said. What strikes me as well is he doesn't let people pressures. People challenges, people pressures slow him down or pervert his obedience. What I mean by that is this. We already read in chapter 12, verse 6, the Canaanite was in the land. The Canaanites are not going to be friendly to him. They're not going to be open to him. They're not going to be, you know, pleasing to him. Neil, Neil's story, his autobiography, has a chapter in there. He's talking about a missionary that went into an area um, in, um, in Indonesia, and there were some peoples who had been in the jungles there that had been uh, one of the last vestiges of people who were still uh, cannibalizing. 
And he talked about a missionary friend that was there, and he was invited to go there and hold meetings. And the people there were so, so angered by any kind of outsider coming in, a white man coming in, and especially talking about another god, that they would line the roads as this missionary uh, was there, and he and his family would walk the two miles to church. They would line in the bushes and throw rocks at him almost every day that they went to this church. And they had a little school there, and somebody would get hit by rocks. They would be yelled at. They'd be screamed at. When they would go to this little church multiple times, others would go to their bungalow, break in, take all their food time and time again. Neil gets there, and he's going to hold revival meetings. He said the first night, they're living in their home three miles away. They put him in a little bungalow right next to the church. He said all night long, Somebody's pelting his little bungalow, which was metal, roof, and you know, block. They're, they're hitting it with rocks. Then he says in the middle of the night, about 2 o'clock, when he's kind of paranoid, like, okay, it's calming down. All of a sudden, he could tell there's a group of people, and they're yelling, and they're screaming, and they got you know, torches outside. And so he's fearful they're going to light this thing up on fire. And then they disappear. Then they come back. Then they disappear. Then they come back. And it was this constant haranguing that made them a little bit nervous. Should we hold the meetings? First night of the meetings. They're there preaching on Sunday night. Some guy comes in with a knife and threatens the missionary pastor. So they shut down the service and they go about. They come back the next night. Another guy comes in. He's drunk and he's threatening. They continue with the service. Some get saved. And through the week, then it calmed down. And several people got saved. That intimidation factor, that resistance factor, that's Canaanite-ish. That's what they, we talk about later on in the book of Genesis, that they are not well-liked. Abraham is not popular. He's not coming in as the hero. He's coming in as an outsider. And so he's in this land despite the people pressures. When you read that he comes to the plain of Mora, you have to understand what the Semitic language is talking about. It's the idea that he comes to the oak of the teacher. The oak of the teacher would be the idea of an oracle, a, a meeting place where this tree or this grove of trees, this is where spirits would talk to us. So when, when Abraham's coming through this region, one of the places he stops temporarily is at a pagan worship center, an area that would be known for that. These people would not be receptive to somebody who's coming and talking monotheism, especially when they build an altar to a monotheistic god. And yet Abraham is following the Lord and he is not watering down or hiding his faith. Look what it says he does in these regions. He builds two altars that are mentioned. He builds the one at this spot and then at Bethel he builds these altars where he is laying claim or stake that this is God's property. This is God's land. So here's an individual who is saying at this point in his life when he usually at 75 years age you want to put your feet up he's got his feet to the, to the ground. He is going in an area instead of trying to be a pacifistic type of guy and avoid conflict, he is just boldly, not obnoxiously, but boldly declaring his faith in the places where faith is declared. And so he's living for the Lord, following the Lord, and here he is, 75. God told him you're going to be the father of many nations. You know, he doesn't have any kids at this point. And so we're going to make these trips, we're going to go off, and this is an adventure, and I believe you, God. I believe you, God. I'm going to follow you. And he follows through. Let me, let me bring to, uh, to conclusion a couple of thoughts and we get to our prayer. We said these thoughts already about, about the friendship with God. It's by faith. Any of us can do that. Based on the revelation. Produces great change. We do what God says no matter what. Here's something else. Walking by faith compels us to contact our God. To build those altars where you can stop, you can pray, and you're not ashamed of your faith, but you take that opportunity to 
worship the Lord your God, where you speak to him, where you spend time with him, where according to chapter 12, verse 8, you call upon the name of the Lord like Abraham did, where you're taking that opportunity and though you're busy, though you have activities, though you have lots to do, you're saying, this is important. This worship time, this declaring my faith is so important. Let's do another thought here. Okay, number seven. Walking by faith results in blessings. The blessings are going to show through the rest of his story, but at the very beginning, God says, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you prominence. I'm going to give you a spot where you will have a reputation that will make impact. You will make a difference. He says to him in verse 1, chapter 12, or verse 2, I should, should clarify, where he says, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. Your name shall be great. You will be a blessing to others. Don't we want that? Don't we want to have impact? Don't we want to have, not for our sake, not for ourselves, but do some things where God's glorified, where we have made a difference? God says, that's going to happen, Abraham. You walk by faith, and I'm going to use you that way. In fact, Abraham, when you walk by faith, I'm going to give you some protection. Where he says, I'll bless them that bless you, curse them that curseth thee. I know in the bigger frame of things, he's talking about the promise even to Abraham's offspring. But in a very pointed, in a very personal fashion, as it's first stated, Abraham is going to be the recipient of God's protection. God's provisions for him in a very um, anti-God area. He is also going to be the one to receive the promise. The world will be blessed through you. Well, we read in Galatians that that blessing was his offspring, the Messiah. That the world was blessed that through him salvation comes to the world through Jesus Christ. And so what we have here is God saying, I am going to use you to be a witness to the world. In fact, he's a witness in 2017 here on May 10th right here of what it's like to walk by faith. And God used this man in a phenomenal way. Let me add one other thought, okay? It's not in your notes, but I wanted to close with this. Walking by faith can be done by anyone at any age. And I'm talking not just spirit, uh, physical, I'm talking spiritual age. That any younger Christian that is by age or by their, since their spiritual birth, you can be an individual of faith. Here he is, a new convert at 75 years old. He is making a difference. He is walking by faith. What about you? What about you? You say, well, I don't know that much scripture. Neither did he. I don't know that much, you know, uh, about, about, you know, sharing the word. He's learning. But he made a difference. There's a lady that I read about. Gets saved at 70 years of age. She's in Melbourne, Australia. She gets born again and she's burdened. She's starting off her life. She doesn't know much scripture, but she wants to be a witness for Jesus Christ. She goes to her pastor and she says, I really want, I'm 70. I don't have many years. God's just saved me. What can I do for him? And he says, well, he gives, he gives classic advice. He says, go home and pray about it. Okay? Not, not real specific, but it's classic advice. She goes home, prays about it, and she doesn't know much scripture. She's not good at memorizing. Her, her mind isn't that great to be able to learn verses like some of your minds. And so she prays about it and she gets an idea. And so she prays about it a little bit more, but she's really convinced that the Lord is impressing this upon her heart. So she goes down to a local drugstore and she buys a whole bunch of three by five index cards. And she writes just a simple phrase on them. If you are lonely, come to my house for tea at four o'clock on Tuesday or Thursday and gives her name and address. She goes to the University of Melbourne just down the street from her house and she posts them all over the campus. Cafeteria, student lounge areas, the dorms at the bulletin boards on the dorms and she puts out a whole pack, a hundred of these cards all around the campus. 
She goes home and she starts getting the stuff gathered so that she can have tea ready and for the students who may come and talk to her. And so she's got all ready on the Tuesday afternoon, nobody shows. Thursday, she gets it all ready, nobody shows. She's a little discouraged, but she's saying, Lord, I really think you're in this. So then she comes the next week, she gets ready, nobody shows. She gets ready on the next Thursday, nobody shows. She goes three weeks like that, but she's persistent. She really believes God is in it. Finally, after three weeks on that Tuesday, one girl shows up. This girl's from Indonesia. She feels a little bit lonely. She hasn't met that many people, just a couple of friends. And she comes to this lady's house, introduces herself, and the lady has tea, and they sit and talk for an hour, hour and a half. This girl is so excited, she goes to her dorm and she finds her one other Indonesian friend. She says, I found a lady here in town who is so sweet and she's just like my grandma. She listened. So that Thursday, she goes back with her friend. Over the next 10 years, this woman has this ministry of befriending the students and listening and encouraging and becoming a grandma to a lot of the students and leading many to the Lord. When she dies 10 years later, 70 of those students want to be the pallbearers for her to honor. All of them she led to the Lord. There are hundreds that show up at her service to give tribute to this woman who just did something so simple as to reach out in her senior years, use her circumstances to try to glorify Jesus Christ. By faith, God used this baby Christian who was elderly in years because she had faith. Faith that acts, faith that believes, faith that persists, faith that does the uncomfortable at times, but faith that God will use. That's the type of people we want to be so God can use us.